الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد الحمد لله we are approaching the halfway point of شعبان moving closer to Ramadan may Allah give us barakah in our شعبان and take us to Ramadan Inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down His fadl, His grace, His rahmah at all times, but on special days and special nights, there is a special rahmah that comes down. One of those nights is the night of the 15th of Sha'ban, which you will, inshallah, hear about in the talk tomorrow, inshallah, after Maghrib. <laughs> Ramadan is approaching and Allah's fadl rahmah is very intense in Ramadan. We all know this. The um, Muslim culture has always been to prepare uh, spiritually for Ramadan, just as we prepare for a wedding, a reception, a social occasion, or we prepare to go and meet a big person, or if there's a job interview, we prepare for that. Also, so likewise, the preparation for Ramadan should be at the same level, at the very least, that we're preparing to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah that He sends down in Ramadan, and this preparation has always been part of the Muslim psyche, part of our civilizational code and value, and part of who we are and what we are. And this is not in the sense of uh, making plans for Eid. This is making plans for Ibadah in Ramadan. So what do we do? So we say today, we sit down today and say, well, this is what I want to do in Ramadan, and I will want to finish this amount of Qur'an, I want to give this amount of sadaqah and zakat, this is how I want to feed people, this is the kind of du'as I want to make, and you start. You don't wait for Ramadan, you start today. That's how you prepare. You don't just move into Ramadan, dive into Ramadan. That is not how we do things in the Muslim Ummah. When I talk about the Muslim Ummah, I mean the Muslim Ummah from the 14 centuries, not this Ummah of today. Yeah, this Ummah of today is, is very, very behind what we used to do, what we were. So we have to catch up to the previous Ummah of this Ummah in terms of our dedication towards Allah and our dedication towards ibadah and our dedication towards helping people. I'm not saying we do it, I'm just saying we don't do enough. And inshallah, this is the time and this is the year where we should resolve to do these things for the sake of Allah. And Allah will reward us, inshallah, in the other world so that we become closer to Him and closer to the Prophet Muhammad. So we have certain tasks 
and certain obligations and certain duties that we can, inshallah, enumerate in preparation for the great month of Ramadan. Ramadan is a month in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down his angels and opens the gates of Jannah. And the gates of Jannah opening up means that Allah's tawfiq comes to the Ummah, that the Ummah frequents the Masajid more in Ramadan, the Ummah reads the Quran more in Ramadan, and the Ummah gives more in Ramadan, etc., because the gates of Jannah are opened. So the fragrance from there comes to earth. That fragrance uh, propels Muslims to do more ibadah. When you receive the smell from Jannah, which is not physical, it's spiritual, then there are certain stimuli in you that stimulate you to do ibadah more because the gates of Jannah are open. Yeah. Uh, this is the meaning of the gates of Jannah being opened, uh, that this breeze comes from there, and the Ummah now all of a sudden puts on its switch. So the switch is turned on. What I'm saying is that you can turn the switch on now. Don't wait until Ramadan. Then you will be prepared to receive the divine Rahmah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl. And the gates of Jahannam are closed. And when the gates of Jahannam are closed, then uh, Muslims do not sin as much in Ramadan as they do in other months. So sinning now is stopped and closed because the air from Jahannam doesn't reach the earth. When that air doesn't reach the earth, then there is no impulse and there is no stimuli left in the atmosphere. There are no pollutants in the environment to prompt you to commit sin. And that is the meaning of the gates of Jahannam being closed. And Allah then gives you his tawfiq and stops you from sinning. This is how we prepare for Ramadan. This is how we as Muslims prepare for Ramadan. So you do it now. You stop sinning now. You make a resolution that I'm going to be the best I can this year in this month of Ramadan, inshallah. And you go forward from there and you do as much as you can to please Allah and to please the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is how we see that the Ummah has always been this way, always preparing, always preparing for the next event, always preparing for the next event. You don't stop in life just because you have social obligations and just because you have family obligations and just because you have financial obligations does not mean that you don't have any obligations towards Allah. They also continue. So whether you are busy or not busy in life, you still have to pray at least five times a day. And in Ramadan you pray even more. Yeah? So this is how a Muslim must see himself in, in, in lieu of his social activities and his family responsibilities and his other obligations. And people now, they come to terms with it. The barakah in a Muslim's life is when he regulates his life according to his ibadah. 
that if you regulate your life, and you say that I'm going to regulate my life according to the time of Salat, or according to my dhikr, or according to my recitation of the Qur'an, or according to what I'm going to do for the Ummah, then there is barakah. It shouldn't be that, by the way, I have to do Salat also. Yeah. I need to take time out, three minutes for Salat also. It should be the other way around. That I will take time out to fulfill my other responsibility because my preoccupation should be in ibadah. And that's the reason why Allah created us. I have not created the jinn and the ins, human beings, except that they should worship me. Worship here means ibadah in the strict sense. I don't mean feeding your family is ibadah. You must move away from this. This is a secularized version of Islam. It makes no sense in the Quranic concept, uh, context to say that feeding your family is also ibadah. But there's no doubt feeding your family is rewarding. And you should feed your family. Nobody's saying that. But to say that feeding your family is ibadah, that's crazy. That's total nonsense. It's not ibadah. You are rewarded if you feed through halal means. And if you feed through haram means, then you'll be guilty of a sin. It's not designated as a form of worship. Ibadah is something that is designated as a form of worship, formal worship, like Salat, Salm, Zakat, Hajj, recitation of the Quran, Salawat al-Nabi. These are designated for Ibadah. Those are Ibadat. Everything else is Hasanat. Good deeds. You're rewarded for good deeds. If you pick up something from the street that's going to harm someone, that is a good deed. You're rewarded. But it's not ibadah. You must understand the difference. It's not a nuance. It's a very simple, straightforward difference that we need to appreciate because it changes our approach and psychology, especially our worldview. When you look at the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, did he spend 20 hours of the day trying to feed his family? He had seven wives, mashallah. So was he preoccupied in feeding all seven wives most of the day, or was he preoccupied in ibadah most of the day? That you gain from seerah, and it's a no-brainer. Look at the Sahaba. Were they preoccupied in feeding their families all day? Or was the, were their hearts attached to the Prophet وسلم, and the Masjid and Salat? Then that's also a no-brainer. When you read the seerah of the Sahaba, the Muslim Ummah became so rich, mashallah, but it became rich on the back of Barakah. Not on the back of aggressive, uh, aggressive business deals. It is Baraka. When you read the, uh, the, the, the seerah of the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're advising their people, their followers, their support group, 
the base. They say you must work from Fajr to Zuhr. And they say this in, in the third century. As early as the third century, you will find reports like this written. And then after Zuhr, you must not work, then you must engage in ibadah for the rest of the day. SubhanAllah. Obviously, in our countries, Fajr is about what, six, seven. And in Zuhr is about one. How many hours of the day is that? So what I'm saying is that the barakah of this ummah, the Prophet ﷺ make dua for this ummah to receive barakah after fajr. He made a dua. Allah give my ummah barakah after fajr. Meaning if you work after fajr this barakah through the tongue of the Prophet ﷺ. Then the rest, especially after Asr. There was no preoccupation of the Muslim after Asr to do business. They all engaged in dhikr, adhkar, they would be with their families for a few minutes here and there. And then after Maghrib and Isha, it was all nawafil. The nawafil would turn at night. Or they would study, or they would recite, or they would be in the company of someone who was learned. This was the culture. So we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl on this ummah is with the ummah as long as the ummah regulates its life around ibadah. Around ibadah, which is a very different concept, is a very different worldview. Nowadays, Muslims believe that unless we hoard and amass so much money, Allah in this country, the collective ability and buying power of Muslims is in the billions. Is in the billions. But yet, every year we scream and shout for funds. You'll hear in this message also, which is fine. That's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. I don't have a problem. What I'm saying is that if the spending power is in the billions, why do we need to fundraise? Because there's no barakah. Before, it used to be that there was an announcement. In fact, there was no announcement. I know, because I've lived this. I've seen this in India while I was studying. I never heard a single announcement in any masjid I went in India in Juma for fundraising, yet all the masjid were taken care of. And India is not a Muslim state where the government comes and tells you that they're going to pay for you and for your masjid. It was done by the impulsive nature of Muslims that we have to do this because we are Muslim. They didn't stand and shout and scream for funds after Juma. In fact, there were no announcements after Juma. So what I'm saying is that the barakah in this ummah is when a Muslim regulates his or her life around ibadah. I have to do Fajr. I have to do Zuhr. I have to do Asr. I have to do Maghrib. I have to do Isha. I have to get my Quran in. I have to get this much dhikr in. When you regulate your life this way, then Allah brings barakah to you and to your family. But if your only preoccupation and your obsession 
is the world, the dunya, amassing more money, more wealth. You're looking at your PL and your reports, and you're looking at your bank statements, and you're saying, This is going down, this is going down. And you have no concern for what's going to happen to you in your grave. Then, yes, you're Muslim. Alhamdulillah, mashallah, Allah keep us, preserve us all. But is that with barakah? Is that without barakah? The beauty of this ummah has always been barakah. As I said, those masajid in India, they're filled. Those of you who know, who know. And they, the local business community takes care of them. How do they take care of them? That's what they do. And that has been, has been the trend in the Muslim ummah for generations. For generations and so on, because they all understood that this is a responsibility and we don't need someone to shout at us to tell us how to fulfill our responsibility any more than we need a khatib to tell us to come for Jumu'ah. Is there a khatib there that you've seen who stands on the member and says, People come for Jumu'ah? No. Why? You do it instinctively as your Islamic responsibility. Likewise, there should be no reason why anyone stands to fundraise. No reason whatsoever. That everybody should pitch in and everyone should say, how can I help? The initiative must come from the community, not from the leadership, because the leadership if the leadership has only one thing on their mind, and that is, how do I pay the bill for the masjid? Then where is that leadership taking you? You tell me. You talk to any board of any masjid in this country, the only preoccupation they have, how do we pay for all this? Then you think they have time to think about other issues that we have in the community where they can actually lead? And the ulama are constantly pegged down for fundraising. As if they have nothing else to do in the world except fundraise. Fundraise, fundraise, fundraise. Total madness. Unfortunately, I'm not slandering or complaining. I'm just saying that there has to be a component of barakah in a Muslim's life. That barakah comes through ibadah. Only ibadah. There's only one way. Because this is what distinguishes us from a non-Muslim. A non-Muslim will also have money and wealth and education and organization and system, everything else. But the non-Muslim doesn't have barakah. The barakah is reserved for the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa which is derived through ibadah. Through worship of Allah, exclusive worship of Allah, we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, inshallah, uh, gives us the tawfiq to, inshallah, manage our Ramadan the way the Prophet managed his Ramadan. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to do what pleases him the most. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen.